0: North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades.
1: North Korean leader Kim Jong un was absent from an important national holiday event this week, rekindling speculation over his potential health problems.
0: It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. These are reports that came out, and
2: uh, we don't know. We don't know.
0: Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. In this episode, CSIS Korea Chair Victor Cha and Senior Fellow Sumi Terry discuss the news surrounding Kim Jong-un's health. We talk about what we know, what we don't know, and whether a succession plan is in place and what it all means for North Korea and the United States. Joining me today on The Impossible State is my co-host, Victor Cha, and we have with us the great Dr. Sumi Terry, um, all the way from Hawaii. Um, We're all virtual. Sue has by far the best hand. Great to be with you guys. Let's talk about how did this start that Kim Jong-un seems like he may be health fading. Some people think he's no longer with us. What's going on?
2: Andrew, there were um, a spate of stories that came out uh, last week about questions about the North Korean leader was was ill, perhaps even fatally ill. And part of it stemmed from the fact that he had not been seen in public for quite some time and missed in particular um, the uh, what's called the Day of the Sun in North Korea, which is the birthday of the first leader of the country, Kim Il-sung. And then that, coupled with rumors uh, that there were French medical doctors that had gone into the country in January on some special mission. All this got rolled into one story that came out by one news site that follows Korea news quite, you know, quite closely. And then what happened was that a bunch of, you know, mainstream media started picking up on, uh, on these stories and picking up in particular on the fact that um, Jim Shudo of CNN had gotten in touch with a U.S. official who said that they were following the story. And um, and that then spun into this question that the U.S. government was now following intelligence on the North Korean leader's health. So um, that created, you know, this flurry, a blizzard of stories that then both the South Korean government and the Chinese government then knocked, uh, tried to knock down by saying that there's nothing unusual happening with the North Korean leader, leader even though he hasn't been seen in a while. I know Sue. Is that the way you kind of remember it? Or?
1: Yes, that's exactly the way. And I think when Jim Shudo's CNN report came out, where Jim Shudo tweeted that Kim Jong Un was in grave danger, and I think that kind of got people really, um, you know, that's kind of made the story,
0: you know. I mean, yeah, if, <laughs> if you say he's in great danger, that that would be enough to do it.
1: <laughs> I would just say that Kim's health status is something that's extremely difficult to assess given the secretive nature of North Korea and lack of intelligence from his inner circle, right? So I think it's just important to point out that even if something was seriously wrong, we would not know that immediately. U.S. government did not find out about Kim jong Un's father, right, Kim Kim Jong-il's death until two days later. And that's only because North Korea announced it. We, you know, we didn't know for 48 hours. So I think that's really important to keep in mind.
0: Well, let's talk about his underlying or supposed health issues. We know he's a heavy smoker. We know he likes to drink alcohol. We know by his appearance that he's not the most physically fit guy. So what else do we know about him?
1: Well, he, for, first of all, he's 5'7 and reportedly about 300 pounds, so he's clinically obese. Um, but you're right. He su- suffers from significant number of health issues, uh, including heart disease. We know that his family has a history of cardiac arrest or cardiac disease. His father, Kim Jong-il, suffered a stroke in 2008. He died of a heart attack eventually. His grandfather, Kim Il-sung, also died of a heart attack. And as you mentioned, he had, he's a heavy smoker, um, chain smoker, drinks heavily. And both risk factors. So intelligence community always considered Kim Jong-un's health as one of the number one wild cards or risk factor um, when assessing North Korea's internal stability situation. So this is, he definitely has a lot of health problems.
2: Victor? Yeah, I'm, I would not disagree with that. I mean, there clearly is a, you know, genetic heart weakness in this family. On the male side, I mean, we see it with the grandfather, the father, and now, and now um, the son. I mean, if he really, if he really is in some sort of trouble, and if he really did have some operation done, some vascular surgery done that may have gone bad, um, what's what would be striking about this is it's it's so much earlier. Right than either his grandfather or his father. How old do we think he is, Sue? Is he is he mid thirties, early forties? Yeah, mid
1: thirties, mm-hmm. thirty five, thirty six.
2: Uh-huh. Right. Oh yeah, his sister's third in the early thirties, right? His sister's. In the- so yeah, and, and and it's probably the least that we know about the North Korean regime is the health of the leadership. Um, we know more about their nuclear weapons than we know about the health of the leadership, um, and because it's only one leader, of course, that's the most carefully guarded secret in the country.
0: Well, what happens, you know, if he really is incapacitated or if he dies, what happens?
1: I think it will initially lead to some sort of a power vacuum. Kim's death will leave uh, North Korea dealing basically for the first time in its 72-year history uh, with an unplanned and unprepared succession. Uh, when Kim's father and grandfather died, we know there was a successor in waiting. Kim Jong-un had been preparing to succeed his father, Kim Il-sung, for two decades. When Kim Jong-un only, well, he only had a few years to prepare, uh, but he still uh, was nevertheless groomed by his own father. Um, but Kim Jong-un right now did, did not cultivate his own successor. His children are preschool age. This, this means there will be uncertainty who will take over if Kim Jong-un were to die. In North Korea... Like former soviet union and unlike united states does not have official line of succession so i think in the immediate term there will be a power vacuum but we can talk about who might take over but it's you know
2: you know i get the question like so you mean they don't isn't there in a succession plan don't they have a succession plan in place and the answer is, of course, they don't because they're a dictatorship, right? right? Dictatorships usually don't create succession plans because they don't want any possible exit path, you know, for people who might not be happy with them. So I don't think that they're, you know, clearly because he's so young, I don't think there's a clearly laid out succession plan. And and like Susan said, we can talk about what we think might happen, but the notion that they would have some... Carefully laid out plan that's stored in a box somewhere that they open up with the golden key as soon as Kim Jong un croaks. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think that exists in the country.
0: Well, what about the sister? We heard from her in some official capacity, which also led to speculation that Kim Jong un might be fading um, because we don't typically hear from her in official capacity.
2: Yeah, you know, she's definitely had a bigger role lately. I think for the for most of the west they first got a glimpse of her uh at the South Korea Winter Olympics uh back in 2018 when she was part of the delegation and really got a lot of media attention there and the three meetings between Trump and Kim Jong Un you know she was always sort of around in you know on the sidelines in the scenes and clearly visible yeah she did make some statements in March um in her capacity as what is it, head of propaganda or whatever her, her position is? And um, she's playing a much more important role. I, I think it's hard for the North Korean system, given its history, to handle anything except direct bloodline leadership. And so that would probably make her, in some capacity, uh, the person that, that, that they would at least try to set up. But I don't know, Sue. I don't know how Sue feels. I mean, she knows this stuff better than I do. So,
1: no, I agree. Whether she serves as a figurehead, or is a supreme leader, that's to be seen. But I do think that's the most likely outcome because it preserves the tradition of Kim family rule. The state ideology defies the Kims as near divinities, right? They're treated as gods. And Kim Jong un's own legitimacy comes from this Pektu bloodline. So, and you know, Kim Jong-il, uh, his sister obviously enjoys the same hereditary advantage. So it makes sense. The only other family member who could step forward is also Kim Jong-il. But that's Kim Jong-il is Kim Jong-il's older brother. But he was already passed over uh, for leadership by his own father, Kim Jong-il, because he is considered to be weak, apolitical, not into politics. He he supposedly just is a biz, big musician, music fan. He was a big Eric Clapton fan.
0: Who isn't an Eric Clapton fan? <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> and we know Kim Jong-un assassinated Kim Jong-nam, his half-brother. Yes,
0: yeah, so that guy's not coming back anytime soon. <laughs> yeah,
1: who would have posed uh, a very serious challenge to his, Kim Jong-un's legitimacy uh, in 2017. So really that leaves Kim Yo-jong, the sister, as the most likely person to take over
2: sue's right that I mean you know Kim yo- Jong would most likely be either the leader or the figurehead I mean the other person that's in kind of in the picture is Kim pyong il right who is the half-brother of Kim jong-un and who is you know who was brought back from Europe but I don't see him as sort of playing the leading role i I mean it's very clear that there's you know there's the direct line from Kim jong-un through his younger sister and the way they've both been presented in public together all the time, and especially when doing things like meeting with the Americans and with the South Koreans. she clearly won. So it might be something like that with some other people standing around her um, from the party and from the military. And then the other piece of this, I think, is very important is regardless of who they put around her, there will be, I think, uh, either directly or indirectly some sort of outreach to China, in this, in this, what would be this very difficult period because the last thing they would want is for them to be destabilized from the outside. And I, I'm sure they see their, their best chance of getting some sort of, I don't know, protection is the right word, but some sort of backstopping would be, would be in the Chinese.
0: What do we know about her style?
1: Well, I don't know if we know a lot about her style. Uh, we know that she's at least one of the most trusted members of Kim's inner circle. Obviously, Kim Jong Un himself uh, trusts her tremendously. Uh, probably the one person that he does trust. We don't know a whole lot uh, about her views, or you know what, because we just you know she's just been doing basically whatever her brother wanted, um, aiding her brother. So the question for me is whether, um, in this kind of very confucian hierarchical and male dominated society like North Korea, whether elites will truly support her, a young woman as supreme leader. So probably she would. She can serve as a figurehead, whether she can be this dominant, very strong supreme leader, and whether the elites will support that, um, that's, a, that's, that's a little bit of a question mark there. Yeah, I do she, think the most likely scenario, if Kim Jong-un dies and she takes over, I think she will pursue Kim's policies, um, at least in the near term, because she just doesn't, you know, you have to consolidate power first. So I think it'll be risky for her to depart from Kim Jong-un's policies.
2: Yeah, she is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. That's the way I would describe it, uh, uh, in the sense that we really don't know a lot about her. You know, the public statements that have been attributed to her have been sort of typical North Korean propaganda, whether it's with regard to South Korean purchases of high-tech U.S. fighter planes or comments about the, you know, the future of diplomacy with the United States. It's pretty boilerplate stuff that you would expect to hear from North Korea. I, I would imagine, as we often do all the time, whenever there's a what, the change of leadership in North Korea, there will be a lot of theories thrown around about how she might be a reformer, Right, might be different uh, from brother. You know, much more exposure to the West. We heard the same thing about Kim Jong Un, so I expect we'd hear those uh, those same sorts of theories. Um, but the other thing about her is, like, if this were true, you know, I mean, the, she would actually be starting the job at an older age than when her brother started in the job, right? Because her brother started. To, had to you got this thrust at him when he was in his late 20s and clearly looked like a deer in the headlights at the beginning of all this and she's been clearly around you know she's been around the highest level diplomacy with Trump in the United States she's even met Dennis Rodman she's yeah, yeah th- there may be a little bit more experience there but I mean we don't know she could be as ruthless or more ruthless than 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 her brother
0: would you expect though if there is a change in leadership that there would be some Early sign of ruthlessness by whoever takes over.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen that in the past. There is always some sort of purging that t- takes place when Kim Jong Un took over, and we used to track this um, at CSIS uh, in terms of the rate of purging that was taking place. Um, it was it was pretty high, and it was it's always high when there's a transition. But what was what was unique about the Kim Jong Un period was it was high and it was sustained over a long period of time, like much longer than it was. When Kim Jong Il, his father, took over, so I would imagine there'd be some, there'd be some of that taking place as well.
1: Well, Andrew, you know, we're assuming that Kim Yo Jong will take over, and I just mentioned that that's that's probably the most likely scenario. But there are other scenarios too. So it's you know, it's not necessarily that she will take over. It could be someone like Cheong hae I don't know what you think, uh, Victor, but. Uh, he's considered, like, number two most powerful man in North Korea. You know, he could well support Kim Yo-jong, he and the elites. Like, his family is supposed to be close to her family. I think his wife is very, was very close to Kim Yo-jong's mom, Kim Jong-un's mom, but he might not. He also has an incentive to fight for power rather than support another Kim family member just because he saw what happened with Chang sung Tech, Lee ho who are considered second or third most powerful men, members of the regime, and they got all purged. So I'm just, I'm not saying this is a likely scenario, but there are also other scenarios that we cannot absolutely rule out.
2: I would like to see something like that happen. I would like to see like Che Ryong-hae or Kim Su gil you know, people in the military or the party actually taking control. I mean, I read somewhere in these different, all this stuff that's been coming out lately, that that would be a disaster if, you know, the military took over. I, I'm not so certain. I mean, you know, the bane of the existence of this country has been this cult of personality leadership. And if there were actually a change where it was not run by this bloodline, you know, dictatorship, military dictatorships can be ruthless, but at the same time, they're much more capable of making rational economic decisions than cult of personality leaderships, right? I mean, just look across the DMZ at South Korea. They had military dictatorships in the 70s and the 80s, but they were able to make rational economic decisions, right? Park Jung-hee normalizing relations with Japan, right? I mean, they could make, look at the, the, the generals in Burma, Right, they could make a rational economic decision to, you know, establish relations like, again with the United States. So I think it's much harder for a cult of personality leadership for, to do that because it's all about the cult of personality leadership. But if you have like a, the party or the military in charge, then they're focused on something else, like the state, right, the well-being of the state. And so, you know, it it might be ugly, but it might it might be in the end, a better outcome.
1: But if that, that works, if somebody takes over. Um, but right. the right. most perilous scenario is one in which multiple powerful political military leaders compete for power with no single individual in charge. Now, if that were to occur, I think then you, you're looking at a very unstable situation, right? Uh, because with competing civilian and military leaders claiming to rule swaths of Country or battling one another for resources. Whenever you, I know that in, in the U.S. intelligence community, when we think about instability scenario, this is the high risk scenario. Low probability right now, but still that's a very high risk scenario.
2: Right, and and then also in that scenario, it raises all sorts of questions about outside actors, right? Because whenever you have competing groups inside who are you know who are competing for power in a power vacuum, then there's always the, the appeal to an external patron, you know, and whether that's China or South Korea or Russia, you know, whoever it might be, then that that's when other outside actors get involved. For the United States and South Korea, that would be a very bad that would be a very bad situation. But again, if the dust clears and you have a non cult personality leadership there, you know, I think there there may be more potential there for a better future than than if things continue on the path that they've been on under this family regime since the mid-1940s.
0: Let me ask you both this. Um, both of you served in high positions in government that followed this issue very closely. What would you be doing were you in government right now to prepare for outcomes?
2: Well, I mean, the first thing I'd be, like we'd be tasking the intelligence community like crazy, right, <laughs> to try to get better and real intelligence on what this situation actually is with regard to the guy's health. You know, aside from thinking about actual operational issues like, you know, loose nukes securing this, I mean, to me, like the biggest, bigger questions will be, are we coordinating well with South Korea? Are we sharing intelligence? Are we thinking about this the same way? Do we have the same scenarios in mind, which I think is difficult, but doable with an ally. The much harder part is China, right? Given where we are right now in the US-China relationship over COVID, over trade, over everything else, the notion that there could be some sort of strategic cooperation, not even strategic trust, right, but just strategic cooperation, over a situation that is in flux in North Korea, seems like it would be a very tall, tall demand. But at the same time, it would be very important. uh, If there is a lot of instability, and if, if uh, China is playing some sort of role inside with regard to the transition process
1: preemptive diplomacy is critical i mean this is one of the things particularly with china too i mean after south korea it's really interesting that on this kim jong-un's health rumor both south korea and china were just immediately sort of downplaying it even though i'm pretty sure they know nothing too you know it's not like they they have better information than us we are basically all uncertain but they are downplaying it for a reason um but Previous efforts to work with China or to have any kind of a conversation about contingency planning in North Korea has just not been successful because China's fundamental interest is different from ours. So I think you know this is all the more time that we do have to engage in some sort of preemptive diplomacy before instability happens in North Korea. But again, um, it's it's easier. I mean, it's, it's in, that's in theory. It's, it was a harder. To, it's harder to do in practice.
2: You know, the problem is is that. Governments usually don't act when they don't know, right? And if you look look carefully, if you parse very carefully, carefully what has been said up until, you know, when we've recorded this podcast on Friday afternoon, if you look carefully at what's been said, nobody really knows, right? Because if you look carefully at what Jim Shido said, the US official said about, yes, we're following the stories about this. All that is is an objective statement saying, yeah, we know these stories out there. We're following them, right? That doesn't tell you anything, right? And if you look at the South Korean and the Chinese government statements, both of them have essentially said to the effect, uh, we don't see anything unusual taking place, which is, again, not saying everything's okay and not saying that things are falling apart. They just don't know, right? To me, what was interesting um, was... What Trump said in the COVID press conference on Thursday, where he got the question, you know, have you, uh, you know, he said he hoped the North Korean leaders is okay, And he got the question, you know, have you been in, in contact with them? And his answer was, I'd rather not say. Right. Which to me sounds like he's tried and they're not getting a response. And that, that to me is very interesting. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of interpreting here, but that to me is very interesting because he could have said like, no, or he could have said, yeah, I got in touch with him and everything's fine. But he's, he just said, I'd rather not say, which is kind of a very obfuscating response that makes you think that there's something that's not a hundred percent right here.
0: So in the intelligence community, how do they approach this?
1: Well, there'll be, you know, there'll be all out trying to, uh, using all sources, um, sort of, you, you know, going to all the human sources, assets we have, try to test them to see what they're hearing. Every form of intelligence will be trying to be used, trying to figure this out. but. I'll tell you, it's not—it's not easy. That's why I said at the beginning of this podcast, trying to also figure out the health situation of Kim Jong. This is one of the most difficult things to assess. That's why I mentioned Kim Jong Un. Just let's remember, he was dead for 48 hours, and no one knew it. So I know they'll be trying very hard to, you know, use all available sources to assess what's going on. But I—I would not be surprised if CIA did not know any better right now about exact status of Kim's health. Uh, so for example, it's, it's it, you know, they can say, okay, he has some sort of procedure, the doctors were in and he's, he's at, at a hospital. But how, you know, what kind of condition is he in? The, you know, that they will know. So when I heard this kind of thing about a brain dead, I, how would anybody know that? Um, we just don't have that kind of, you know, intelligence. So I think they'll be, they're working very hard, uh, but it doesn't mean they know. And it's not just the U.S. intelligence. I don't necessarily believe the South Koreans know any better or the Chinese know any better.
0: What do you all think happens next with this story? Um, Do you see, you know, it just carrying on and we don't know? Do you see him making an appearance? How will we know even when he makes an appearance if the video is authentic?
2: Yeah, I mean, there were there were some reports that he there were greetings sent in his name on April 20th to what was it, Cuba or someplace So, you know, they're clearly trying to make as though it's it's business as usual. First of all, I think the press, all press, would be laser focused on the next appearance by Kim to determine whether it's real, whether it's, you know, whether it's been doctored, whether it's old footage. I mean, there'll be a lot of that going on. You will remember when uh, Kim Jong-il was missing for a while and there were rumors that he had a stroke and he didn't show up. And then when he finally did show up, it was clear that he had a stroke, right? You remember that, Sue? I mean, he had lost tons of weight and was using a cane and he was clear that he had had a stroke. And so, you know, when that moment comes with Kim Jong-un, we'll be able to see, you know, he missed, I think I, I tweeted this out too. People have been focusing on the variety of things that he's missed. The only one that really matters is he missed April 15th. That's That's a big deal, right? To miss that day. And so now the next thing people are focusing on is actually Saturday, right? It would be Saturday in North Korea time, which is there's a, another a holiday, a military holiday, military founders day or foundation day. And so will, you know, will he, will he be at that or will be there pictures of him at that? But I think the way the story goes right now is that every time there's a new rumor, whether it comes out of the Asian press or it comes out of Singapore, or it comes out of Indonesia, it comes out of Hong Kong, there's going to be this flurry. Of people like that, you know, fly to it like bees to honey, everybody looking for a, a second source to confirm, right, or a third source to confirm this. And, you know, we'll we'll run through this cycle again until he actually shows up or there's some sort of, uh, you know, announcement coming from North Korea, not from China, not from South Korea, but from North Korea.
0: What do we know about what's going on in North Korea with COVID-19?
1: Well, they still claim there's no confirmed cases of coronavirus. But I, for me, that's really hard to believe. Um, so just because um, even though they took some draconian measures to prevent coronavirus from coming in, just the border with China, there had to be some cases. But they are taking some draconian measures to stop it. So some of the people are saying, well, could Kim Jong-un have not shown up on this April 15th celebration because of his fear of coronavirus? I don't, I don't buy that because even though Kim Jong Un is very paranoid, uh, because he's so paranoid, he would not have anybody that's coming near him would have been thoroughly checked, right? So I don't believe that is a reason.
2: Yeah, I mean, so we're actually going to release a study not about North Korean coronavirus, but how North Korea responded to previous pandemics, um, looking at MERS and I think Ebola, and and comparing it to what they've done on COVID. And the one thing that is very clear is that they're, they're running through the same playbook that they run through whenever there's a pandemic, which is they shut down the borders, they restrict all internal movement, they confirm that there are no cases, zero cases in the country. That's what they said for all the other things. But at the same time, they pivot and reach out to South Korea or to China for aid or assistance. Right. And so they're running through that same playbook. But I, I mean, I agree with Sue. It's impo- I mean, there, as I think Sue said in, in Foreign Affairs' piece, I mean, this country is sandwiched between the two largest and earliest outbreaks of COVID in the world. Right. And there's a unique transmission vector from China because of the travel from China. So the notion that there would not be any cases, it's really hard to believe. For all we know, there could have been complications for Kim Jong-un's surgery, and maybe he's got COVID too. You know, we don't you know we we don't know. And and you know, for someone like him who's a heavy smoker, COVID nineteen would not be a good thing for him to have.
0: Could be a major problem. Yeah. What are your friends in South Korea saying to you guys about this?
1: That's really interesting because South Koreans are pushing back hard. Uh, saying that everything is normal, don't jump to conclusions. That's the message I'm getting from the government officials and even the intelligence folks are sort of all out saying, well, we don't know, we don't know. So my pushback is, since we don't know, to also say everything is normal is also a little bit off to me. I mean, we don't know. That's the answer, (laughs) right? That's curious to me why they are pushing back so hard. And I wonder if that's because if Kim Jong-un is not dead and he's still alive but still recovering, that they don't want to offend him
2: right? by, right. you
1: know, having this old, old kinds of speculation about his health.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, you know, the progressive ruling party just got a big victory in the national elections. They want to push forward with the inter-Korean agenda through the end of his term in office. Now that they have this huge majority in the parliament and they don't want to do things to piss off the North Koreans and sort of saying, Oh yeah, we don't know if he may have a heart attack or he may be in trouble. They don't want to, they don't want to say that, but like Sue said, you know, there's a fine line and it's a it's a sort of, it's, you know, it's part of it is sort of the spin of politics is to when you say that um, uh, there's nothing unusual that we can track happening that then turns into everything's normal versus we just don't know. Right. And I think the objective reality is it's not that everything is normal. We just don't know. And the two then I think Sue would be the two data points for me are missing at April 15th. Right. And then this other data point, which is just my pet thing, is that the way Trump answered the question about, have you been in touch with them recently? And he said, I'd, you know, I'd rather not say, which is that, that to me is a little bit, a little bit strange. It means that maybe they reached out and you can easily imagine Trump saying, could you go and reach out and find, see if my good friend Kim is okay. And that they're not getting a response back that, that is kind of, that's kind of interesting.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see if he shows up on Saturday. Right, right. I wonder if anybody's taking bets on this.
2: Yeah, I don't know if Vegas – well, I don't know. Everybody's Everything's closed, so I guess. Everything's you know, closed. There's no, there's no odds. Although they're going to open pretty soon, right, in Las Vegas. I don't know, the Victor, but you you guys in <laughs> the
0: New York Giants got a pretty good draft pick last
2: night, so I think you I think you're feeling good today, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can always look forward to football if it ever – Happens. Yeah, it ever
0: happened. Well, thank you both today. This is interesting and we'll keep following it. And so if we see him, if we see any sight of him on Saturday, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Impossible State to dissect what that all means. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Take care, guys. Aloha, Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Mahalo. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at CSIS.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there, too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.